All right, let's learn. Let's learn. Okay, so we, the last class that we did was on organ donation. As we're going through the process of Bikr Cholim, illness, we did Vidoy, um, and then that was already, uh, you know, organ donation and all of the complications and fascinating topic as far as that goes. Tonight we will begin Hilchos Avelos, the, that transfer of now what happens to the person, the family members, after a loved one uh, passes away. There's one aspect of the source sheet which I did not give you, I just will mention it outside. If you happen to have a booklet, uh, which I see only one of you does, you don't need it. But I just, um, there's a fascinating minhug, which is practice in Yerushalayim. And I have almost never seen it done here in the States. I remember one time I've actually seen it done. But to the best of my recollection, I've only, only that one time. And that is after a person dies, when a person passes away, in Yerushalayim, the minhug was to leave him on, a, on the bed for about a half hour. They would lower him and place them on the ground. And the minig has some specific details in it. If you've ever had a chance to see this, both in the States or in, in Israel. In Israel, what they do is they completely undress him and so that his back is naked, flush against the ground, and then they cover the body with the sheet so that the body is entirely covered from head to toe and on the sides, but directly underneath, the back is specifically against the floor, and they place a stone under the head. Two reasons. One is to lift it a little bit up, which is a more appropriate just form for, for the body before burial. Secondly, to fulfill the verse of... Um, uh, sorry, I lost it. Ki ratzu avadecha es avaneha. Your servants, meaning those who live in Israel, run and thirst after the land. They desire the land. So that the body would be placed physically again with the back uh, on the floor, touching the ground of Eretz Yisrael, and the stones, ki ratzu avadecha es avaneha, that idea that your, your servants desire the land, and her stones literally... So there would literally be a stone under the head of the, uh, the body until uh, burial. That is, the, uh, that is the minhug that exists in Eretz Yisrael, and I believe it is regularly uh, practiced in Eretz Yisrael if you've ever uh, seen something like that. In the States, the Shach writes, uh, one, of the, one of the commentaries that we've seen on the side of the Shulchan Aruch, that the reason why they place the back directly on the floor is not because of that verse, which is why we put the stone of Ratsu Avadechas Avana, your servants desire its stones, its land, but that in order that the body not begin at all to decompose, the stone floor was very cold in Eretz Yisrael, so that the body would be placed on the, directly on the floor for refrigeration purposes. And because of that, the Shach writes, that really has no reason to be limited only in Eretz Yisrael, that would exist. Uh, anywhere, but they don't put stones underneath the head outside of Eretz Yisrael. They just generally put straw to lift the head up a little bit. That's what was done. Um, outside of Eretz Yisrael, I've very rarely seen this. Most of the time, a person passes away either in a hospital or in some type of facility. There's no chance. They, they would, you just can't. You can't, can't do that. Um, sometimes, even when a person passes away at home, generally not done. I, I just. I just, I just haven't both, seen it. I, I mentioned when I both my parents passed away at home, both of them put on the floor. You did? Very good. But they did. You did it that way. Yeah, so there is such a minhag. 
Um, the reason why it's not as frequently done is simply because, as I said, you know, if it's not at home, you just don't have that option. We, your parents died at home, you said? Yeah, both. And your brother did it? Yeah. So at home, you can. At home, it's a possibility. Um, the facilities would never allow that. So uh, and that's where the majority of people pass away in some type of a facility, and that's not an option. But there is such a minug, and it's mentioned both in Eretz Yisrael and at home. The only difference being uh, outside of Eretz Yisrael, uh, instead of a stone under the head, sometimes it's some type of straw, which you probably don't have straw, some type of pill, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's nothing. Um, but there is such a minug. The other issue is, as the Shach writes, the reason why they would do it is with a back completely exposed. They did that also, or not like that? No, dress. Yeah, dress. Whatever the person was wearing. Because the blood goes that way. If you put it this way, the blood starts going to the head. So the, uh, so the that, that aspect that, that the Shach writes of in the refrigeration aspect in our day and age is also not so much of an issue. Most of our homes are particularly colder than we want even. Um, and so that aspect of, like, uh, even in a hot day, it's air like the concern that existed 300, 400 years ago of a body being left in heat and beginning to decompose and to smell, smell inappropriately is far less of a concern in, in our day and age. But nonetheless, there is such a minute, and it's worth noting, as this is the halachas that we're discussing, such a concept of uh, placing a person uh, on the floor, of course, completely covered. It mentions to ask mechila as you move the person uh, to treat the person with the respect as if they were still alive in every way. Um, as uh, that is done. One last thing. One last thing on that topic. There was also a halacha that you're supposed to close the mouth of a person. Very often as a person passes away, <laughs> the mouth opens and remains open. So this idea we, we mentioned before of closing the eyes and closing the mouth. The reason for that, I did not, I thought it was a different reason. The reason for that, as is mentioned in the Svarim, is actually so that the piv does not, uh, air does not enter and bloat the person. Um, as an as an opening, I don't know if that would ever would happen, but that was the concern that was that's mentioned in the halacha. The person who does it, when you put him in a mikvah, you have to make sure the mouth. Is well, that's for sure. I guess at that point, yeah, um, <laughs> for sure, for sure. As far as but even with that, this is just even on the ground. Um, before then, there was a concern that somehow air would would enter and may bloat the person, which would be inappropriate, not a kavod hames. But certainly, obviously, if you're immersing it in an actual mikvah, pouring water over, that would be obviously for that reason as well. Okay, just so those are the last two points on uh, on that topic. And that brings us into hilchas avelus. So we've been doing again bikur cholam and time of death, and now that brings us into actual hilchas uh, avelus. I'll just mention as a uh, recollection of what we did when we first started, the very first source that we learned was, are you allowed to learn these halachas? Isn't it a bad omen? So we learned a bunch of the halachas, um, and the original source for that was a uh, tshuva that was written, um, I think it was the note to Behut, if I remember correctly, didn't want to engage in certain studies, but uh, many, many, many sources have said just the opposite. It's an, an appropriate limit, and it should be a zchus that you shouldn't need the halachas uh, as you learn all of these halachas. Okay, with that in mind, let's start with Hilchus Kriya, the halachas of uh, ripping the clothing that is simen shin mem, uh, which you have in front of you on your sheet. The Gemara Moed Katan, which addresses many of these halachas, first tells us, for whom do we mourn? Now, as we talk halachas of Kriya, the idea of Kriya is obviously we, I should say this with a, a caveat, is we don't only tear Kriya for those who we think we have to mourn. We'll see it's a larger group of people, as we'll get to. But the starting point is who do we do Kriya on? Seven right? The, the, well, the, the seven crowed. So that actually comes 
from a source that comes from a, a different halacha, the halacha of a Kohen. And that you can find in source number one. We'll read and translate together. Tanur Rabbanu, the Bryson says as follows. Kol ha-omer b'parshas kohanim, she-kohen mitame lahen. Anyone who a Kohen is allowed to become tamah. We have at least two kohanim in the room, yeah? So anyone for whom a Kohen is allowed to become tameh, that is an explicit series of people in the Torah that the Torah lists. And generally a Kohen, of course, is not allowed to go to a basic forest, can't go to a cemetery, can't become Tameh. But there's a list of people, the Torah says, you have an, have an obligation, you have a Chiv, become Tameh because you need to take care of your relatives. So the, the Brisa puts the two together. Anyone that a Kohen is mitameh for, an Ovel is misavil alehen. So then a mourner would grieve in halacha, everyone's allowed to grieve, you know, obviously be sad, but an avil would have the halachas of grieving on the people that a kohen has to become tameh for. Who are the people that a kohen becomes tameh for? So that list is explicit. Ishto, his wife. Aviv, imo, his mother and his father, three. Achiv v'achoso, uh, his brother and his sister. And Beno uvito, and his son and his daughter. However, that list in the Chumash is a, um, not as an inclusive list as one would think. Because, for example, his sister, a Kohen, only becomes Tommy for his sister if she's not, she's not married. As soon as a Kohen's sister becomes married, he would then not become Tame for her, or for a sister from his mother that was not a sister from his father. Notice if he has half-sisters from his father, he becomes Tame. The, half, the father is the one who gave him his Kohen status. But a half-sister from his mother, he would not become Tame for. So Chazal said, even though that's our general list for people who you mourn, Chazal then added, Hosifu Aleyen, Achiv Abisula Meimo, a half sister from the mother's side, we would grieve for and sit shiv and go through the entire process, even though a Kohen, so a Kohen is the starting point, but then we added half sisters from the mother's side, the Achoso Nisua, and your married sister. Whether from your mother's side or yours, even though a Kohen doesn't become Tameh for a married sister, but a, a mourner, even though your sister's married, is to your sister is your sister. That we don't make a distinction on. So we use the Kohen as a model, but not as the, the end all. We added um, half-sisters and brothers from the mother's side, so that any half-sibling a person does grieve for, that happens all the time, obviously, in second marriages, uh, you have half-siblings, um, and uh, we grieve that you're an avil for a, for a half-sibling, and uh, for married sisters also. It's like, we, people don't even feel like, why would, no one, most people would not even have a, a would not enter a thought in their mind just because their sister's married. Like, what difference does that make? So for a Kohen, it matters, but it doesn't matter for, for grieving. That's our starting point of our grief. And that presents us with the famous seven krovim, this, the circle that you draw around a person, you know, is a spouse, his two parents above him, two children below him, that's five, and then a sibling on both sides, brother or sister, those are the seven for whom we grieve. Um, and again, I, I mentioned this, I, I find myself saying this a lot of times to families, because families' <laughs> life brings us interesting dynamics where you often have somebody very, very close, but it's not one of those seven, a stepchild, an adopted child, uh, many, many other circumstances where there's no halachic grieving, 
but very often a person, there's nothing wrong with sitting shiva. There are just certain things which we have to discuss, whether or not, let's say, you make a bracha on the kriya. Uh, there are certain things we'll get to. But I'm, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about these things in many different contexts, but at least we'll just throw it out there. These are the seven for whom a person is obligated to go through the halachas of Avelos on, and then there are others, who will, and, and other practices in which we'll see how and when they can apply in various different uh, circumstances. Uh, many cases like this. Uh, you know, in, in Atlanta, there were many circumstances uh, in which were, there was just a higher percentage there than in other places I've been in of uh, converts. So a person converts, and then their parent passes away. And they're like, this is my parent. And they're not Jewish, but they're my parent. And all they know, as for the last 20, 30 years of their life, is sitting shiva. They know practices of grieving. This is how, this is how you grieve. And they want to grieve. And so halakhically, you say, well, they're not one of the seven anymore. But again, in all, many of these circumstances, there's like the halakhas, and then there's the practice. And there's fascinating discussions. We'll hopefully get to a lot of them as we discuss. This seven is the starting point of the halakhic. These are the seven people for whom a person has an obligation to do and practice the various practices of uh, mourning. Okay, we'll hopefully get to all of these different shilas as we go along. Okay, so let's start. So well, what does it look like? What does mourning look like? What is it? Okay, now you told me the Bryson says you have an <laughs> obligation to be a, an avel. Okay, what do I do as an avel? What's, what's my starting point? So the first halacha that we're going to address is kriya. It's halacha of... Uh, tearing and ripping the clothing. The Gemara has a very strong description of the obligation of Kriya, far stronger than I think uh, any one of us would have guessed on our own. And it reads as follows here in source number two. Omer of Tachlifa Baravimi Omer Shmuel. So in the name of Shmuel, the following drasha. Avel. It's always hard when you're reading Gemara, the word aval versus an avel. You know, spelled the same, but like sometimes very often we'll throw a, throw a reader off as they're reading. Avel, shalot para, an avel who does not um, leave his hair, um, un, what would be the, who, who, un, who does not leave his hair unkept, meaning he cuts his hair. Vishalot pirem, or does not rip his shirt, meaning an avel who doesn't do, an avel who takes a haircut or doesn't rip his shirt, chay of misa. I'm like, what? what? An avel who doesn't rip his shirt or who takes a haircut, chay of misa is the language of the Gemara. Shenemar, I'll give you a pasuk, says the Drasha. Rasheikh, and there's a pasuk, I'll give you the context. This is on the day that the Mishkan was inaugurated. And as we all know, there was a tragic incident involving the two sons of Aharon. And two of his sons, uh, Nadav and Aviu, die. And the two remaining <coughs> sons were now caught, as was Aharon himself, in between what we would call a joyous day of functioning as the inaugural Kohanim, Kohen Gadol and Kohanim, and the death of a brother and son. And so Moshe gives them very specific instructions for that day. And Moshe instructs them that in your unique circumstance, the joy, the national joy of the Mishkan is going to take over or trump your personal sadness, which is a halacha that's going to be repeated every, every year when it comes to uh, Yantiv. The national day of Yantiv always takes over a personal individual's Avelos, as we all know, Shiva is ended if a person dies over Chalamoi, the Shiva doesn't even begin. All of that is because the <coughs> national joy of the time is bigger than an individual, in the same way that when we flip the equation, right, during the three weeks, during the national mourning 
of the Beis HaMikdash. A Jew says, I want to get married. We say, sorry. But this is my greatest joy. Like, sorry. The national mourning trumps your individual joyous occasion. And we put your joy on hold. And so we do the, you know, there are times that we're being part of a nation means you're part of a nation. And the national experience sometimes outweighs the personal, uh, the personal experience. In any case, so when Moshe instructs Aharon and his children that this day the national joy is going to overtake their personal sadness, Moshe uses the, fam- the following language. Third line in source number two. Your hair you may not grow long. And your, um, your, your clothing you may not rip. That you shall not die. And then the puzzle goes on to discuss what they need to do. Meaning, to them he says, you can't leave your hair unkept. You have to prepare yourself for this day, the inauguration of the Mishkan. And you can't rip your clothing because you're, you can't. And then, in context, is about for you, <laughs> that you shall not die by not being appropriate Kohanim on this day. So Shmuel, so the Gemara makes the following drasha. What do we see from this passage? If that's what we tell them not to do, what does it mean a normal Avil would do? A normal Avil would grow his hair out and rip his clothing because Moshe has to tell them not to. Not to. So that's a good source. That's a good source for the concept that an Avil does need to rip his clothing and um, grow his hair out. We find, by the way, other sources of people um, uh, ripping clothing. In, in times of trauma, that there are several instances in the Chumash where we find people uh, ripping their clothing. Just in this week's last week's parsha, when the brothers find um, when the goblet is found, the gvia in Binyamin's sack, uh, they rip their clothing. Um, and in various other times of grief, we find people ripping their clothing. But this is an actual halacha on which Moshe says to Aaron and his sons, you may not rip your clothing, you may not leave your hair unkept. So from there we derive, that's what an Ava would do, these two things. And then the drasha is, it says, Velo Yamusu. And Moshe says to them, like, so that you shall not die. So Shmuel's drasha is, meaning if another person who wouldn't do that, a person who would not fulfill these requirements, would be Chayv Misa, would be like Lala. Very strong language. Very, very strong language. So if you're surprised, as, as I would be, you're seeing this for the first time. So the Shach, again, we've quoted one of the major commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, when the Salach is quoted of leaving your hair unkept and cl- ripping your clothing, says, and the Pasuk that's brought in the Gemara is an Asmachta, which is a classic phrase, which means it's not really a Torah law. This Pasuk does not teach us that any person, that who says the Velosamus that you shall not die? Aharon and his sons on the day of the inauguration were required to do something in order not to... But we, you can't derive from there that a Jew throughout all of world history who doesn't rip his clothing or, le- or cuts his hair, it's an asmachta, we're just attaching the halacha to a pasuk, not in a way that actually derives a Torah law. It's certainly a din derabana, the, the manifestation of grieving through ripping clothing and not cutting hair, that is a durabanan attached to a Pasuk, hinted at at the Pasuk, but not an actual, not an actual source. Is it warm enough yet in here? It's, it's like melting, yeah? I'm okay, but um, I'm assuming I, I could... Uh, I have two choices. The droopy eyes are either because I'm a bad teacher or it's too hot. So I'm going to go with it's too hot. Totally, right? Okay, we're all in agreement? 
then I feel much better. Thank you for making me feel better. Okay. Um, when? When is the obligation? When is the obligation of uh, Kriya? When should that be done? So the Shulchan Aruch writes... We do that here. Correct. Let's take a look at the Shulchan Aruch. Let's take a look at the Shulchan Aruch. On, this, on the sheet, the second sheet with a little this one. I couldn't. I wanted to photocopy the actual Shulchan Aruch, but the, the, this particular printing, the page is thin, so the copies don't. If you notice from that, the, it doesn't come out because it gets distracted the backside. Anyway, Shulchan Aruch writes as follows: Mishemes lo meis. So, um, person who have uh, meis lo meis, the person has died on him. Family member has died. Vuhu meha meisim shiroi lehis avil aleim. From amongst the um, relatives that a, a person has to mourn, the seven relatives that we learned. Chayav l'kroya alav. So number one, he has an obligation to do the kriya, as we saw from the Gemara. Those are the two things the Gemara put together. Not cutting your hair and ripping your clothing. Shulchan starts with the halacha of the obligation to do kriya. V'tzorach sheyikra mu'umad. And then he adds the halacha that you have to do it standing up. That comes from two different sources in which we find in Tanakh, one by Eov and one by, by David HaMelech, that the, the, the Navi specifically uses the language of Vaya uh, Amod. And they stood before doing the, uh, doing the Kriya. I, would have, I should have brought you the, uh, the Psukim, but Mertz um, Hashem, maybe uh, next time. So the Shulchan brings it as a lach. The Torah mentions it that when you do the Kriya, you stand. So you've seen them, uh, you know, uh, either for your in past experiences, if you see the rabbi gathering the family together, Kriya is always done standing. It's not just by chance because they happen to be standing. It's because the halach is when you do Kriya, it's done in a purposeful way while standing. So much so, the Shulchan Aruch writes, the imkara miyushav lo yatsa. Okay, that, we'll see that. That's an exception. The post can write, if you can't stand, you can't stand. I've unfortunately done uh, Kriya on uh, elderly people who lose a spouse in their 90s and one of the spouses is still alive. They can't stand. They're in a wheelchair. Okay, obviously you do Kriya in, uh, in, in, in sitting down. But a person who's able to stand and did Kriya sitting down, we would say it didn't even fulfill the obligation. You're going to do Kriya, you're going to do Kriya again. As the Ramah adds, you have to do it again. It literally, you did not fulfill this obligation if you were uh, sitting down. Um, it would sound that way. Sound that way. When you say lo yatsa, meaning that the bracha that you made, but I'm not positive about that because the bracha goes on like the whole grief, but that's an interesting question. Let's see if we can answer that at some later point. Keep that in mind. Good question. Any case, you have to re- you'd have to rip again, says the, uh, says the Ramah. Let me just check one source. Okay, it doesn't say. Um, and then the Ramah adds, in mind I have it on the parentheses, And when would you do the Kriya? Before the steam of the covering of the face of the mace. Which, when do we cover the face of the mace? Immediately after, after death. We cover as we've learned. And that's exactly when it, uh, when it normally would be, uh, be done. As the Aruch HaShulchan writes, in source number three, in your other sheets, Iker mitzvah kriya hu achar yitzias neshama. When is the primary time to fulfill this mitzvah of kriya? That would be right after the, the neshama leaves the body. Immediately there on the spot, you would do kriya. And he writes, 
Da'az havi iker shas chimum. That is um, uh, the end. That is the literally the chimum, the, the heat of the passion, is the way that we would translate it. Of um, right when the neshama leaves, l'chol apachos at least kodem sheyistum penei ames bekever ba'afar. So the covering of the face, not not just with the sheet in the room, is the the burial with the offer. Meaning at least it has to be done before then. Before you finish the burial, you have to do the kriya. But when is the ikr kriya? Right when the neshama leaves uh, the body, that's when it has to be done. We do not do that. When do we do? Have you, I'm maybe, have you ever seen anyone do kriya at the time of a passing? I've been... Uh, I was 20 years old when my brother passed away, so the first thing I heard that he passed away, I started ripping my shirt without knowing that. Okay, but not because someone told you to, just because that's what... That's what I thought was yeah. the... So that is an expression of what, what's supposed to happen because you just hear it, and it's like, that's what you want to do. You want to rip your clothing. But we don't do that. We, we don't. Oh, that's a question. So why not? So the Pnei Baruch, which is a classic sefer on Hilchas Avelis. Um, Morty will look it up for me while I'm saying exactly who. What, you don't have okay, so never mind. Um, uh, gives five reasons why the Minan Ka'olam has shifted away from that immediate moment of passion, which is when uh, the ik- that's when it should be done. Why, why don't we do that? It's almost never done that way. That's not one of his reasons. <laughs> That's not one of his reasons. Reason number one, Aleph. If you want to follow it, I'll read a little bit inside and translate. Yitachein, the reason it makes sense. Mishum shalom hakol b'kiyim b'dinei akriya. We're going to learn, not tonight, but it's next time we learn, which will not be next week, we'll be next to the show. There are halachas of kriya. Simple halachas, like left side or right side. Halachas of where does the rip start? How long does it have to be? Standing versus sitting. There's some halachas. So not everybody is familiar with the halachas of Kriya. We see that we're going to see that there's a difference between a parent and other siblings, whether or not you rip the jacket and the shirt, or only the shirt. So not everybody knows. Not everybody knows all of the halachas. So since not everybody knows all of the halachas, so instead of saying to people like, oh, you know? Okay, you can do like this. You don't know? You know. In certain instances where not everybody is familiar, we just did it in a way that becomes uniform, so that everybody gets it in the same way. So that's reason number one is, so because not everybody knows, so we moved it to, uh, we moved it to the time of uh, the funeral, so that there's a Hevra Kadisha there, there'll be a Rav, there'll be somebody running the, the program, and that person will guide all of the Avelim in the various halakas. That's reason number one. Number, reason number two, mitam shechafetzim she'acherem yaschilu bekriyas beged. It's appropriate that someone else should start the rip. This you've also always seen usually, unless you did it by yourself. But generally, there's someone who starts the rip. Now that's not only because that's the person who happens to have the razor or the knife, but that is actually appropriate that someone else do so. Why is it appropriate for someone else to do so? So he doesn't bring it here, but in the Pischei Tshuva, on the Shulchan Aruch, I'll just read it in one photo, there's no way it would have come out. He writes that it should be done through somebody else, through not just anyone else, but somebody who you would be embarrassed that they would be ripping your clothing. To give a, how do we translate agmas nefesh? A despondency. That's how we translate That there should be some despondency. This like anguish is really good. An anguish over the fact that this is happening in such a way. 
That someone else is ripping my clothing, and I, normally I would be like, what are you doing? No, I can't say anything. So it's not just me, me ripping my own clothing has a certain element, sometimes, you know, we do things. Someone else ripping my clothing and me not being able to say or stop is an element of the humility and the anguish, the helplessness. It's, there's something about someone else ripping it. But then the halacha is that the Ravel themselves has to finish it. So you'll always, if you're ever around, the, the Rav will always, he starts to say, okay, now I want you to finish the last little bit while you make the bracha. But there's this concept of like having your garment ripped, you know, standing there, humbled, saddened, and having someone else. So since, so the reason number two, why did we move away from ripping at the time of passing? Because A, not everybody knows exactly how to do it, and B, we want there to be somebody else to do it, and that doesn't always happen, so this way we unified it, or made it uniform in being later, so that there will be somebody else who will be able to uh, manage it. Reason number three, we want everybody to be gathered together. We want everybody to be gathered together, meaning the entire family. This is particularly, he writes here in Yushalayim, where children, if you've ever been to a funeral in Yushalayim, children do not follow after the Aron and are not present at the actual burial. There's an old minog in Yerushalayim. Um, and so particularly there, where the children aren't going to be necessary, they want where they'll all be together. But at the time of passing, not necessarily everybody's all gathered together, so yeah, they waited until... Or adult children also. Oh, adult children, adult yeah. Okay, there's certain chevras. Um, I always warn when I find out people are being buried, so there's certain chevras who will not have ch- sons particularly walk after, after the Aron. And I, it's traumatic for those who are not expecting it. Or even, it's just, it's a, interesting. Not every chevra will do that, but there is such a meaning in Yerushalayim. Okay, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to be there because I know people who were not and have been traumatized for many years afterwards. Um, but there, he, that's what he quotes here in, uh, in source number three. Heyo, shepo, ir hakodesh. Um, uh, sons do not walk after the meat. It's a very, it's a Kabbalistic uh, concept. Why we, why they don't allow the sons to do it? In any case, we'll move on because that's certainly not the minhag uh, here. Um, he adds that there was also an idea of, of doing the kriya bachutz b'fnei kol adam, that it should be a public expression of uh, the grief, and therefore we waited as well. Uh, reason number four. Um, three lines from the bottom since the obligation is at the time of this uh, heated passion of loss at the moment of the, of the kvura or the levaya is a moment of intense passion also and so it's true there is a moment at the time of death but sometimes there's also a lot of uh, numbness, shock. There's like a lot going on. But at the time when the family gathers together is a time of chimum. And that was the language that the Oruch HaShofen had used of this uh, heated passion. And so to be uh, together, um, I, I, f- I found in, again, every place you're, you're in differently. In, in Montreal, the way that it was, it was like a back room. This, the room where they have here in Boulevard where the families meet, the arm was in that room. And then when they would clear everybody out, it would be just the family together with the Aron. So we would do the Kriya there. And Boulevard has it set up where the Aron is outside. already outside. And so I, I have found that creates a little bit of, like to do the Kriya in that room, but you're not in front of the Aron. The Chimum, 
when you do Kriya in front of, in front of an Aron, is a totally different experience than in that back room. But it's a little bit odd in the way the book, because like, everybody's there and everybody's standing. It's like, it, well, well, I thought that's the point. Yeah, but that, but that, that does help with the, that part. So that's, that's the ideal way to do it, is to bring everybody out in front of the Aron, and they're in front of everybody, and the Kriya is done in front of the Aron is, is much more of a shasachimum, a time of, of passion, than if you're in a room and you don't see the actual, there's something about being there, seeing it. That's, um, that's very real. Um, that is uh, very real. And so... Um, Yeah, and so that is the basic minug. So even though, so the time frame, what, what time is it exactly? Where are we holding Oh, okay. The time frame, the time frame is from the time of the Yitzhiyas Neshama until the end of the actual burial, where, the, where the covering, we've covered the Aron with, with dirt. The general minug ha'olam, the genus, become like in between those two times. We don't do it at uh, the time of passing. We don't wait until the actual burial. But we'll do it at the, at the Levaya before the actual service of the eulogies. Even if it's graveside, we will generally also we'll do it right in the very beginning um, when the arm is taken out of the hearse before we begin, but before we actually begin the actual kfur. That is what has become the minigolem for all of these various reasons, including making sure that uh, somebody who knows the various halachas is there. We gather the family all together at once and that um, it can be done in front of, uh, in front of people, as is uh, mentioned as well, <laughs> as an aspect of, uh, of that. So, um, Do women cut shirts or just like outer garments? So it's an, it's an outer garment. I mean, we'll talk more. We have a lot more to do in Hilchus Kriya. It's an outer garment, but not an outer garment that's for warmth, meaning any type of coat, anything that you're wearing only because it is to keep you warm, um, we do not do Kriya on. So that has some easy applications and some more complicated applications. So that coats are easy. But then there are certain types of sweater, sweatshirt kind of things that really fall into an in-between category of, is this like clothing, like it's stylish, or is this only for warmth? And there are a lot of garments that we have that sort of fit in the middle, and that gets into some, like, uh, would you do Kriya on that? And again, only for a parent do you do all of them. For a non-parent, we don't do, you don't have to do all of them. But an undergarment, we do not do. So there's like things that are clearly we do not do Kriya on, an undershirt or a shell that a woman would wear underneath a uh, shirt, since we don't do Kriya on. But uh, regular clothing, again, for a non-parent, Usually it's just one. For a parent, you do all of them to expose the heart, however many it goes, until you get to that outside, uh, outside coat. Uh, last question with which we'll conclude is not on your sheets, um, but the Shiloh was addressed. What if a person heard that a person passed away and did? Like, like the halacha says, even though we generally wait, but there's nothing wrong with doing Kriya at the moment. And if, and if a person did do Kriya at the moment of passing, then they're yoga. They wouldn't do it again at the funeral. They did it. Um, they wore it, they, they did Kriya. Um, they should wear the same clothing that they ripped, otherwise you, you know, that's a sub. If a, if a person in the middle of Shiva changed clothing, then we would rip the new clothing that they wear. But aren't you an Onim when the title passing? So you're not an Avelis, you're an, an Oninus. Correct. So they're different a lot. So yeah, but we always do Kriya in Onim. No, but we do it as, but we do it at, at the Leviah, which is so where it starts, it starts. No, 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 He'll always do Kriya. By definition, he's always an Onin until actually after the burial. Oh. 
and that by then you should have already you should have already done. But an other who changes their clothing during shiva, we would rip their new clothing. Let's say they say this is dirty, I don't want to wear it. So great, put on a new one. We'll rip that too. The other wears ripped clothing. But um, let, but let's say the other ripped it at the time of Shmuel, right when he heard, and then it shows up to the Levi without. We wouldn't rip it again. He did. We generally wait, but the halacha is any time from the time of passing until the end of the burial. That's when you do the kriya. But what if the following shayla? What if a person did kriya at the time that they heard the person passed away, and then they're informed, you know, too early? You know, you feel like we've been discussing. Like sometimes it's not that we thought the person had died, but we miscommunication, especially in the days of we, you know, rapid communication. But it wasn't always so clear. A person finds out like an hour later. No, they they're still alive, and you know, then they pass away. So do you do Kriya again? Or they did Kriya. It turns out the person was still alive. And then an hour later, the person has now died. Do you do Kriya again? Or would you fulfill it with the first one that was done? The answer is? You do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Very good. You're now in this decision. That's correct. If the Kriya wasn't a Kriya. Okay, you ripped your clothing. Sorry. But um, Kriya is on the loss of a loved one. And it's an outward, this outward expression of uh, of what we feel inside, and we have sources in the in the Chumash for it. And if it was done prematurely, so then okay, you got to do Kriya again. That you would do Kriya again if it was done uh, too early. Okay, there are many more halachas of Kriya. Mir will continue. Uh, not again next week. I'll be in Eretz but after that.